0: We're gonna uh, continue, actually, um, on from a sermon that Jesus, uh, Jesus, well, Jesus did preach at Jordan, who I think very highly of you, Jordan, but not that highly. Um, <laughs> That Jordan preached a number of uh, weeks ago um, about reclaiming the table and this morning we're going to bring Jesus to the table and we're going to look at what it would be like if we bring Jesus to the table uh, this morning, what would happen, what would be uh, the outcomes and it might not uh, be what you think. We're going to go to Luke chapter 14 and we're going to spend some time in Luke 14 this morning. So this is a bit of a larger set of material happening here in Luke 14 uh, where Jesus is at a banquet and he's at a Pharisee's home and there happens to be some tension. Do you notice that? Whenever you put Jesus and Pharisees in the room, there tends to be a little bit of tension that happens here. Have you ever been to a meal where there's been tension? Oh, I've been to some meals where there's been tension before. I mean... Jordan's come to my Italian household. I, I, Italian household, tension is just something that we do, right? That's just part of, part of the deal. Um, I, I have a, a bit of a picture here that Jesus wouldn't have uh, been a great dinner guest, at least by, at least by modern manners, right? But, but let's get it straight. Manners does not equal righteousness, Right? Just being nice to someone doesn't mean you're a righteous person. I mean, I'm not saying go around being rude to people. I'm not saying just sit at dinner tables and make it the most uncomfortable thing ever. But manners don't equal righteousness. Amen. I remember I was at a, um, at a, at a dinner party once. And um, I was a young man, freshly minted 18. And someone had invited me over for dinner. Because they thought that their spaghetti bolognese was pretty good, right? <laughs> and they knew, yeah. You know, they know, anyone who's known me for longer than about 30 seconds know, knows that I like Italian food. I like eating pasta, and that, if, if I had a hobby, if I had something that I exceeded at, or have become totally proficient at, it's eating, right? And especially eating pasta, that's my, that's my thing. I mean, I think I speak about it every time I preach, right? I eat pasta. Uh, and you, you getting it yet? Um, well, anyway, they invited me over for their, their spaghetti, and... Um, I decided to uh, point out some of the uh, mistakes that the, that the host had uh, made in their spaghetti bolognese. Now, I don't wanna offend anyone this morning, but I feel like there's a lot of Italians in this room, and so I'm not gonna offend those people, and in fact, they're gonna feel that their heart is rising uh, with this, but some people may feel a little offended, and I'm sorry if you do, but manners don't equal righteousness. In in uh, Aussie homes, somehow spaghetti bolognese, or you know, uh, uh, just a good ragu, or or you know, whatever you're putting on top of your your pasta, your red sauce, begins to just have everything in it. I mean, it's the same as Tex Mex, like yeah. Uh, you go to someone's house and they're popping, you know, red sauce, that has got a zucchini and, uh, uh, you know, onion, celery, and peas, uh, uh, what's that? Carrot, a lot of carrot. Um, you know, someone had a leek left over, they put the leek in, you know, someone had a bit of coriander left, they pop that in, you know, uh, mix it with basil, uh, see what comes out. You know, in this, in this occasion, a person decided to tell me that the secret ingredient to their bolognese was soy sauce. <laughs> soy sauce. In a bolognese, that's not... Uh, that, that is something quite, quite different. And I, I began uh, to point out... You know, the, the onion is a bit crunchy. It's a bit salty because you put soy sauce in it. Yeah, yeah uh, you got a lot of different veg in here. You normally wouldn't put all these vegetables in a in a pasta sauce. Now, this is to say, this person never invited me back over for dinner again. I don't understand why. I mean... Um, uh, I gave them some great pointers and I'm sure their spaghetti sauce was much better than that. Uh, well, let's be honest, um, it was a stir fry, not a spaghetti by the time they had, put, they had put soy sauce in it. So I pointed out everything that was wrong with the pasta, and it made it for a very uncomfortable dinner, right? Well, Jesus goes to this guy's house and he sits down for dinner and Jesus starts to point out all the things that are going wrong in the culture that the Pharisees have set up for themselves, right? He starts to put his finger on some things that are going very wrong. And he does it from the moment that he seems to sit down here. So let's, let's jump into Luke uh, 14. Uh, so from verse 1, One Sabbath... When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts are in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So he's immediately asking questions that are poking the bear, right? Right. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Notice the hypocrisy he's pointing out straight away. If it matters to you, you're going to help it, aren't you? And they had nothing to say. That is the first thing Jesus does when he comes to this dinner party. He challenges the religious excuses of the Pharisees by doing the most loving thing. He does the most loving thing, he takes a hold of the man who is suffering and he heals him. Man at his worst, man at his worst is man who uses religion to protect himself from the inconvenience of helping needy people. Man at his worst is man using religion to do the worst thing. Jesus exposes the use uh, of the law by the Pharisees uh, to do their own selfish, convenient thing to not help people. And whilst this is happening, Jesus notices the way people are picking their positions at the table. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the second thing Jesus does here is he undresses the pride and the motives of the dinner guests right there in front of everybody. Like that's, that's not good manners, right? That's not how you have a dinner party that's not uncomfortable he's been sitting there he's been watching them come in and what's Jesus looking for is Jesus looking for how how well they've dressed is Jesus looking about where they're from is he looking at what their job is what their position is what their title is no Jesus looks for what these people love He watches, he notices. You see, he says, when he noticed, when he noticed, he's assessing, he's watching. And he knows where their treasure is, just like he knows where our treasure is. Jesus is assessing the heart and in this moment, Jesus watches and he sees where their treasure lies. Their treasure lies in the praise of men. They love to be esteemed for occupying the seats of honour. They love to be praised for being in the best seat in the house. There's a paradox here, right? The pursuit of the seat of honour actually leads to the opposite. Those who honour themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be honoured. At the heart of seeking honour is elevating oneself above others. There is this misrepresentation that's happening here of the golden rule. The do unto other rule... Right, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is often actually practiced like this in ancient culture. If I do unto you, then you're going to do unto me. What I give to you, I'm going to get. It's the law of uh, reciprocity. The law of what I give, I get. It's about getting something for yourself. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's like the Godfather, it's like the mafia, right? I'll do you a favor, Geordie, I'll do you a favor. But one day, I'm going to ask for that favor back. It might, be, it might be today, might not be tomorrow. Let's not talk about the things that I owe you. I've made many bad bets in my life. I once made a bet that a girl called Chanel did not like me and never would want to go out with me, and I bet the house on it, mate. And uh, I lost that bet. Ah, I'm very happy I lost that bet, uh, but, um, but Chanel uh, is not so happy at my great debt of um, all my guitar equipment to Geordie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that's why he doesn't buy Fender Strats or anything like that, because he just assumes he's going to inherit them. He's going to be very disappointed. <laughs> Jesus exposes here the pride and selfishness of those who crave the praise of men. You'd think at this point, right, the party's over. Jesus sat down, he's he's, uh, poked the bear uh, by healing someone. He's pointed out the poor motives of people, right? At this point, people are like, I'm out of here probably, but no, uh, Jesus is not done yet he turns his attention from the guests and their behavior and he turns his attention to the hosts this is like a master class in how to get everyone offside <laughs> the man who's hosting the meal it says is a ruler of the pharisees this is an important guy Like, he's a ruler of important people. Jesus is going to give this uh, important man um, some tips now about how you run a successful dinner party. And this man would have wanted this party right to be the best party. He wanted the best people at his table. He wanted important people at his table. That's why Jesus is sitting at this table, right? Jesus got a bit of a name for himself at this point of time and he's got Jesus at the table. So he would want to keep up appearances. But Jesus sees the important people at this table who are missing. Jesus looks around the table and he sees the people who are missing. Then Jesus said to his host, this is from verse 12, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers and sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so then you'd be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus resets about who is important. Jesus says who should be at the table. You know, Jesus has just demonstrated the importance of these people to the host by the very first thing that he did. Jesus had been in, invited to a dinner party, and for some, they might have thought it was time to relax. Take it easy, but Jesus sees the man with swelling and he is compelled by love and he turns to hear, heal the man. Consequences be damned. On the Sabbath, he turns and heals the man. He sees the heart of what's really happening here and he challenges it. Jesus sees what is missing and he sees that it misses the heart of God. It misses his heart. When he's got this table full of people who really should have gotten it. This is a table of people who should have gotten the heart of God, but they've missed it. And Jesus lets them know it. Do you know what? It really matters who sits at your table. It really matters who sits at your table because it matters to God who sits at our tables. It matters to God who sits at our tables. Jesus challenges the appearance mentality of the hosts. They want to look good, but he challenges the appearance of that. Jesus challenges the pursuit of honour of the guests, the chasing of position by the guests. Jesus challenges the you, you give, I get mentality of them. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours mentality. Jesus challenges the selfish convenience and religious excuses that were protecting these people from doing the things that were on God's heart. Jesus tells us that who we choose to have at our table speaks to about who we are and who we value. It speaks about who we value and it speaks to us today. Who's in our churches? Who's at our tables In our homes? Who are we spending our time with? The reason is because it makes an eternal difference where our treasure lies. Is Jesus, with his commands, his promises, more valuable to us than tradition, convenience? Earthly comfort. Is he our treasure or is the opinion of man our treasure? Is the best places at the table our treasure? Is money our treasure? Is having the word pastor before your name our treasure? Is a position On staff, our treasure. The question is decided here by who's at our tables. Hour by hour, every day, by whether or not we're willing to inconvenience ourselves for those who can't repay us, those who will never be able to repay us. Or whether or not we avoid those people to preserve our own routine. These are hard questions, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the difficulty is right. The difficult people are difficult. <laughs> and that people that find themselves in hard situations are often finding themselves in those places because... They have made some very poor choices in life. But it matters to God. And those people matter to God. And they are precious to his heart. And it matters where our treasure is. So let's get back to the table. So Jesus has just healed someone on the Sabbath right in front of them. Geordie, can I have a water, mate? Which we know healing someone on the Sabbath would have made these guys unhappy. Then he went on to criticise how they all wanted the best seats at the banquet. He speaks to the motives of the host. In what seems like a very short space of time, Jesus has exposed the hearts of the people around the table. And you might think, you might think that at this point he's done. but he ain't he's going to continue to go there with them when one of those at the table with him heard this he said to Jesus blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God you know I read that as blessed but for some reason when I preach it comes out as blessed I'm not sure why but anyway maybe it speaks to my motives I don't know (laughs) um This guy's been thinking, right? This guy here has been thinking about what Jesus has been saying and has this zinger moment, right? he's got this zinger ready to go. Um, And he exclaimed how wonderful it's going to be at the feast in the kingdom of God. And he's actually referencing a a passage in Isaiah here, right? He's actually uh, looking back at Isaiah 25 verses uh, 6 through 9. And it's this great feast that Isaiah describes. And we know this passage, it's an amazing passage of scripture. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare, prepare a feast of Rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, um, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away every tear from every face. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken, and in that day, surely they will say, This is our God. We have trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amazing passage, right? He's referencing this amazing uh, uh, um, feast that's described in Isaiah where all nations are together. It's for all people the gentiles are included in this and the best part of this is that this banquet will be in the presence of the lord the lord will be there uh, with people right and keep in mind when when this person is exclaiming uh, about this how great it will be in the banquet of the lord he's sitting with a bunch of pharisees and these guys are ultra orthodox law keepers right Uh, And these people, uh, the Pharisees had some strong opinions about this great supper of God. And you notice right at the beginning, right, it says all people, all people are going to be there. But the Pharisees actually um, uh, saw that this banquet would only actually contain a few pious, uh, perfect um, Jews. Because there were... Uh, other uh, surrounding uh, texts that said, and then um, God's going to kill them all. Uh, essentially, to get to just glaze over the top of um, uh, some some of those uh, documents there. But um, basically, his zinger is actually pointing to not what it would actually seem like. Instead of this banquet including many people from around the world. It only contained perfect pious Jews and what should have been dramatically inclusive, the total sovereignty of God over all people, all nations is reduced to just a few. And Jesus, oh boy, does he go there with him. All right. it's, that, it's that moment, you know, you see it. In Pastor Charles, sometimes, if, you, if you're saying something, he just turns around and just pinpoints that moment. This is that, that moment. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. From verse 18, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. All of these excuses are inadequate, right? They're poor excuses. These are bad excuses. The one who bought a field could have gone and seen it another time. The one who bought oxen could have examined them and should have examined them if he's already bought the oxen before he bought them at another time. The one who just got married weren't actually forbidden to come to a social event. They didn't just have to lock themselves in the bedroom and make babies, right? They, were, they weren't forbidden to come out. In any case, none of them are forced to accept the invitation. None of them are forced to accept the invitation, the invitation is given, but they're not forced to come. They bail out at the last minute. It's a rude rejection. So these verses are speaking to how many in Israel, including the leaders that Jesus is sitting with at this point of time, didn't have time for Jesus. And why didn't they have time for him? Because they're caught up in their earthly lives. Status. Marriage, social expectation, finance, and possessions. The first two examples are people who are relatively well off, right? The latter are a family who are getting married and are getting um, into the responsibilities of family life. They are so immersed in this life that they rejected the host's call to the banquet. What do we get caught up in that causes us to miss the invitation? of Jesus. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one one of those who were initially invited will get a taste of my banquet. We receive the invitation. Come. Everything is ready now. What is our response? The meal may be ready, but are we? Where are our priorities? Notice here how the invitation becomes more and more inclusive as the story develops. You know, we might be surprised at who we find next to us at the Lord's banquet feast. On that day, when we're sitting at the Lord's table in his presence, we might be surprised who we find next to us and if that if that is what our lord's table is like what are our tables like if that's how our god is spiritually how do we manifest that in how we behave how do we replicate that is our own hospitality so inclusive are our invitations So radically inclusive. Who do we extend the invitation to to come and know our Lord? Who do we extend our invitations to? Who is the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame in our communities? Who is in the highways and byways of life? Jesus wants his table to be full. He wants his table to be full. Now, of course, this is ultimately what this is speaking about. This reference is eschatological. This is end times reference, right? We're looking, at, looking forward to when Jesus returns. This is what we're talking about here. The culmination of God's kingdom when Jesus returns. But in the now, in the now, how do we put this into practice? Right. Because in the now, it refers to his kingdom, the community of his kingdom people who celebrate his meal together. The Lord's Supper, right? In anticipation of that final feast. We take the Lord's Supper in anticipation of that final feast. Today, Jesus wants every seat filled. Take a moment, look around this building, look at the empty seats. Jesus wants every seat filled and he doesn't just want it filled with middle class and the wealthy, he doesn't just want it filled with the polite and easy to get along with, he wants everybody at his table, he wants everybody at his table. So we've got some work to do. He wants the well-dressed and the well-mannered. He wants the poor. He wants the disabled. He wants the prisoner at his table. He wants the criminal and he wants the innocent. He wants everybody at his table. And you know what? The good news is that he wants us at his table. He wants us at his table. But as servants Of Christ as servants of the living God we have some work to do our job is to invite people to that table we should embody the servant of this story we should go to the highways and byways of life I can think of moments that exemplify that table John as he serves food to people at the Hope Pantry. As he does that and he eats meals with people who are often in difficult situations, he's exemplifying that table, isn't he? Over in the east, Linda, Mm -hmm. she organises something called Mitcham Community Meal. Uh, where we'd go and cook for the homeless and people who find themselves in exceedingly difficult situations difficult difficult situations right and we sit down and eat with them Mm. spend time with them encourage them that's a picture of the lord's table isn't it that's a picture of what jesus wants us to be doing now they were, I, I cooked spaghetti for them. they actually really harsh on my pasta sauce. So, um, you know, you reap what you sow, don't you? So, um, um, you know, about a, a week ago, I was in a prison up in Shepparton called Darungal. And some guys, I work for Prison Fellowship when I'm not, you know, moonlighting as a, a pastor in the East. Um, <laughs> I work at an organisation called Prison Fellowship and I sat down with inmates after playing soccer with them and shared a sausage and bread, played some badminton with them, a very odd thing. I never thought I'd find myself in prison playing badminton. <laughs> Did I think that I might end up in prison? Maybe at one point in time. But, um, <laughs> Playing badminton, no. Here, here, here I am with these young guys, right? 18, 19-year-olds playing soccer with inmates, sitting down, sharing a meal with people that have done things that probably would make us uncomfortable. But that's a picture of the Lord's table. It was up in Darwin just a few days ago in Darwin Correctional Centre. Eating mince pies with inmates who are in you know max, a maximum security prison. You can probably scare the pants off, off us what some of these people have done. And we sat there singing the song that we sang this morning, it's your breath in my lungs. Together at the table. That's who Jesus wants Great. at his table. He wants the well-to-do, the well-mannered, and those that are not that well-to-do and not that well-mannered. But to invite, we must go out. We must go out into the streets and the lanes and into the highways and the hedges, into the city and into the country. That is, we need to extend Jesus' invitation far and wide if I can invite the band back up with me we can't keep it to ourselves Jesus commands us to go Jesus commands us to go and we have to go out to extend Christ's invitation the second thing I want to say is that we invite all we invite all we invite everyone. We don't make a decision whether or not we want to invite someone to know uh, Jesus Christ. We don't assess as we're talking to someone, do you deserve to know the gospel? We invite all. Blanket. Yep. The first and second invitations, um, we see the two extremes, right? When Jesus, In Jesus' parable, those that are doing well and the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These should be seen as two extremes which include all others in between. The third summons that is here is to the highways and the byways, and that doesn't specify who's invited. The point is no one is excluded from the invitation. No one. No one. No one is excluded from the invitation. Both, the got it together, the don't got it together, the least and the last sit at the table together. So we go out. We go out and we bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the prisoner and the corrections officer, to the poor and the rich, to the disabled and the athlete, to the homeless and the investor, to the tall and the short, to the good looking and the ugly, thank God, to the nice people and the hateful, to the easy to love and the hard to love. We extend Christ's invitation to His table. We give the opportunity for repentance. We give the opportunity for people to know the Gospel to everyone. Because that's who Jesus wants at His table. All, Everyone. Look out. Everyone. That's who Jesus wants sitting at His table. And so we keep inviting. Even, even if those we most expect to respond to our invitation reject it. Even if those that we think will say yes, we reject it. We keep on inviting, we invite again and again and again. Jesus gives special emphasis in this parable to inviting the lowly, the needy and the broken. And just as in the parable, those that are doing well in terms of life, in finances in family often don't see their need because they are caught up in the things of this life and will often reject our invitation. You know what, the prisoner is under no illusion. They know and they're acutely aware of their sin. In many ways, they're more aware of their need for a a Saviour. The poor and the destitute often see their needs more than others. But even if someone rejects our invitation, we keep on inviting. Amen? Amen. We keep on inviting. We keep on inviting. You know, as I was writing this, I kept on thinking about people that I have stopped inviting, that I've stopped reaching out to, that I've cut off. And, you know, I owe a huge dead of apology to Paul and Sherry, because their son was my best mate. And I stopped reaching out to him and I gave up on reaching out to him and I gotta reach out, mate. This is as much a message to me as it is anyone else. We need to keep on reaching out. We need to keep on inviting. Even if it's rejected, we keep on inviting. We do it because we believe lives change when people meet. Jesus, when people meet Jesus, people's lives change and they change dramatically. The most commonly accepted crap that goes around is that people don't change. People do change and they change significantly when they come face to face with the risen Lord. When they meet Jesus, they change dramatically. I am evidence of that. Geordie is evidence of that. People change when they meet Jesus Christ and at the Lord's table and His feast, there's forgiveness and restoration. We encourage as many, as possible from all walks of life to come and receive the blessings of the banquet that Jesus is giving we could be a part of that can I encourage you to invite people to your table at home and to the proverbial table of church, to the Lord's table? Can you invite people to uh, the Lord's feast? you know what? You know what the reality is? We do not care about building an empire in this place. We don't want to just build a megachurch out of invitation. We want to build the kingdom of God, That's what we're interested in. We're interested in building God's kingdom. We're interested in setting the Lord's table. We're interested in inviting people to His feast. That's what our encouragement is here. So can I encourage you to invite people, not just the nice, but the weird, the downright weird, the difficult, the challenging. Can you invite them to the Lord's table? The encouragement to the servant to invite is an encouragement to us, for ourselves and for our churches. Can I challenge you today to go to the highways and byways of life. Jesus wants everybody at His table, all at His table. And we need to put value where Jesus puts value. We need to invite people to our table because Jesus wants His table to be full. We bring people to our table, our lives, into our proverbial tables of life because Jesus wants to tell others about His forgiveness, grace, good news. Amen. Who do we invite to be a part of our proverbial table? Who do we invite to be part of our lives? And if Jesus was sitting around the table of our life and noticing, what would He notice? What would He notice? Because it matters. It matters who we invite to our table. It matters to God who we bring to the table. But I'm afraid. I'm really afraid that we miss a point. We miss a point more often than we should. That accidentally, with really good intentions, I want to I want to put it softly, with good intentions, not with, not with evil intentions, not with a bad heart, but we accidentally put our value in the wrong place. We don't actually put the value where Jesus places it. We actually place value on the things that Jesus doesn't want us to pursue? Do we accidentally get caught up in appearance mentality? Worrying about what people will think about us? Do we get caught up in pursuing honour from man? Do we try and climb the church ladder and build our own selves for a position rather than taking the place of a servant? Do we do things out of the law of uh, uh, reciprocity? Do we only give and sacrifice with the expectation that we'll get in return? Do we keep religious rules that keep us from having to engage with the least and the last? It is, is, it, is it the weight of expectation what people expect you to do with your life? What people expect you to do in a certain situation? Do we make poor excuses because we're caught up in busy work? The busy work of life. You know what I think? I think it's most usually the latter two. We get busy. Life gets busy. gets tough. Busy at work. We're expected to do certain things. And we just get caught up in that, right? We miss inviting, caring for people, giving intention to people because we're caught up in busy work, church expectation and a busy schedule. When I was a young man, about 21, I'd uh, become uh, the children's pastor of a, a local church called Yarra Plenty Church. Many of you know this already. And um, I lived on Parra Road in this little whole. Greg might remember this terrible little house that I, I lived on on Parra Road and um, me and their um, youth pastor Sammy um, had started running young adult services in their evening. We called them Amplify and some of you were at those at, at those services um, and um, this young adults um, uh, service was very important to me because it was where I was at in life and I I wanted to see it flourish. Um, and so one night I was running late to get to church um, that, that Sunday evening. I reversed out of my driveway and as I was reversing out of my driveway to my left, it was midnight on a um, Sunday night. And bins were collected on Monday. As I was reversing out, I noticed that there was a lady eating out of my bin. she had pulled out the fish and chips that... I'd had the night before, and I, I remember, it's burned into my mind. She is eating the chips and licking the paper that the chips were on. And I looked at her, thought, I should do something, but I'm late for church. I should do something, but I'm late for church. And so I pulled out of my driveway and drove to church. I went to the house of God, but missed his heart. I went to the house of God, but I missed the heart of God. As it happened, I pulled into the driveway and it was burning into my burning into my soul and I went back. I invited her in. Sat down, had a cup of tea. Invited her to my table. That's God's heart. That's God's heart. but often we miss the invitation because we're caught up in busy work. We've got to go out, guys. We've got to go out. The streets and the lanes, into the highways and the hedges. We can't keep... The invitation to our table to know Jesus to ourselves. We need to take it to all people, all people. But do we? Do I? Or do we hold on to it because we think you make me uncomfortable? I don't agree with your lifestyle. I don't agree with the way you're living. Do we take it to all people? Do we take it to the poor? Do we take it to the prisoner? Do we take it to those that deserve to be punished? Do we take it to the LGBTIQ+ person? Do we take it to the drug addict? Do we take it to the rich? Do we take it to the businessman? Do we take it to the difficult? Do we take it to the got it all together? Do we take it to the liar? Do we take it to the hateful? Do we take it to the angry? Do we take it to the loving? Do we take it to the morally right and the morally wrong? Do we take it? to those we like and those we don't like? Do we stop and say, come to my table so that I could tell you about the Lord's table? Let's never miss an opportunity. Jesus commands us to go. We have to get out to extend the invitation of Christ. We can't just sit here and sing songs. I mean, this is lovely, this is fantastic, and this is great community together, but we can't just sit here, sing songs, and expect that people are just gonna magically go, oh, there's something happening here. We need to go out. We need to go out. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen sometimes that God calls people in, but God has actively sent us out. God has actively sent us out. That's who He's using. That's who He's using to bring His Gospel to people. It's us. It's us. We are the servants that He's sent out to the highways and the byways of life. We are the servant that He's sent out. And if we are that people, we need to go out and we need to invite. Let's stand.